Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Courtney Sender is the author of In Other Lifetimes, All I've Lost Comes Back to Me, Stories guest hosted by Julie Chavez, podcast host of Ask a Librarian, and author of the upcoming Zibby Books title, Everyone But Myself. Courtney Sender has written for the New York Times' Modern Love and The Atlantic. Her fiction has appeared in Plowshares, Slice, American Short Fiction, and many others, and has won prizes through Grey Wolf Press, the Tennessee Williams New Orleans Literary Festival, Glimmer Train, and many others. She is also staff writer for the number one charting iHeartMedia podcast, Noble Blood. A Yaddo and McDowell Fellow, Courtney was the George Bennett Writer-in-Residence at Phillips Exeter Academy. She holds an MFA from the Johns Hopkins Writing Seminars, an MTS from the Harvard Divinity School, and a BA in English from Yale. Originally from New Jersey, she now lives in New England. Hello, Courtney. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I am so honored to be the one to interview you today. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be interviewed by you. I have to tell you before we begin, and I wanted to make sure I got this on the recording. So earlier this week, we were just talking offline, but earlier this week, I had to 
change our recording time and I was moving things around. And then I got an email that my son was getting an award. So I had to go to a middle school pep rally. And it was just the absurdity of it all. And in one of your emails back to me, because you had to send many, uh, one of them back to me though, you said, you know what? I'm pretty free. Whatever is least stressful for you, let's do that. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, that was such an exhale for me. And I think it was just such a gracious response. So A, thank you for that. But B, it was funny because as I was reading your book, that sort of, it just, it seemed to line right up. I know mm. this book has so much to do with, you know, waiting and pain and loneliness and some of these things. And just, I think it sounds like it has born fruit for you in your life, not only in the form of the book, but just in who you are. I mean, is that, mm -hmm. I guess we can kind of start there. Like, how do you feel like your life has prepared you to write this book now? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I'm so glad I could help you exhale a little bit. Oh, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, we were saying the Moms Don't Have Time podcast, you aligned with that perfectly. I lined it right up. Yeah, I mean, I think that something that I wanted to have happen in the book, which maybe mimics the best of me in my life, is trying to extend grace and empathy to other people. And I think that a lot of my characters don't necessarily do that, or at least they don't start off doing that. And then over time, they grow and change and come to extend empathy um, even to those who have really hurt them. And I think that that's really been my own story, I hope, mm -hmm. is that I this book came out of being really single for a really long time, honestly, and having these two great passions and loves in my life, which was writing and romantic love and wanting partnership. And these two great maybe desires more than love is the better way to say that. Mm -hmm. And they both kind of bore fruit in some ways, but made me wait in a very, in a lot of ways and made me wait for a very long time, I would say. And so I think that in this book, a lot of the characters are really angry about the weight and they're sad in the weight and they are like howling in the weight and no one seems to care. And, you know, people seem to tell them that maybe love will come until it doesn't. And it really didn't come. And then it's kind of in the past and that tragedy is over. So a lot of these characters, I think, start off angry or really sad or not knowing what to do with this great pain in their chest, basically. And then in the book, it's a braided collection. So many of the characters come back and... Mm -hmm. They keep waiting for these men or not always men and women, people that they loved to come back into their life. And when they do, inevitably, both the person they loved and them are different people. And they sort of, despite themselves, have to extend empathy to the people who rejected them. And I think that's been a long journey and process in my own life. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I think I've at least taken steps to, to come there now. Yeah. Oh, I love how you talk about it. And I have to say, this book and specifically your writing is so stunning. And I know I'm not the only person to say that. It's written everywhere. And I can see why now that I've read it. It's the sort of writing where I read it and it's like you can settle into it. I mean, you just, there's so much there. It's so deep. And I can't wait to reread some of my favorites particularly for somebody so scared. Mm -hmm. That one I really needed to reread, mm -hmm. especially with her dad, just all the characters in it. I mean, they're just so, they're so real. And mm -hmm. you do such an incredible job of choosing the right 
details. Mm. Does it take you a long time to write? Because I read this and I, it truly feels borderline miraculous because if I tried to write like this, well, I shouldn't say, I mean, I've tried, but let me put it this way. When I do try to write like this, it comes out like, wow, you wrote this like a sixth grader and nobody's going to understand what you're saying because you have a way of, you know, using the first person or the second person, it never feels forced. I mean, I just, I'm in awe, truly. So tell me, like, does it take you a long time? And if you're about to say this just flies off your fingertips, then I am hanging up right now and we're done. (laughs) You're dead to me. (laughs) Of course, of course. Well, I can't quite say that. I'll say a version. (laughs) Yes, no, continue. (laughs) My version of it is that very often I'm really voice driven as a writer. So I just have a voice in my head. So in this case, the first line of the story that you mentioned for somebody so scared, it's say no to me, she said. And so that voice was just in my head very quickly. And it's someone asking for her own rejection from the start. And at first it's in this kind of like sexual context and it's kind of a game in the first uh, opening, but then it really becomes her character. Say no to me is what she's unintentionally doing to everyone who tries to love her and to the protagonist who is a woman who has loved her and left her in the past. So for me, something like that line comes really quickly. And then I, it, it will attach to a setting or a situation. So in this case, it's a cabin in the woods in Vermont, which was based, I can tell you on a real cabin, but it was a, it was a New Hampshire, not Vermont. Oh, I loved the description of it too. I could picture it instantly with the spiral staircase. I loved it. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Yes. So, you know, I attach this voice to a setting and then the story, it will kind of run out of me, flow out of me in the first draft. But then it's the going back and the like meticulousness with the details that takes a long time. So you don't have to, you don't have to hang up the call. (laughs) Oh, phew. What a relief. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I do. I think about like, I, as a writer, I think a lot about images that I call vectors. And I can't remember whether I invented this term or not, frankly. Okay. But uh, in physics, my understanding is that a vector is something that has weight and direction. And I think of images like this, like images that matter, they have weight and they go somewhere in a story. So in this story, it's like the cabin in the woods, the spiral staircase that becomes kind of like a Romeo and Juliet play place. And her father bringing, uh, the, the main character's father bringing her records and some art stuff that she's doing in the cabin. So those details, I have to then be very careful with and kind of work through the story, thread through the story so that they all wind up pointing in the same direction, like those arrows, those vectors. I think that I used both thread and vector here. I mixed my metaphors, but... um, I'll allow it. (laughs) But basically, I think that it's the detail that you talked about at first. Those take me a very long time, but the voice and just kind of the the rawness of a character who desperately wants love and endlessly accidentally pushes the people who love her away, that comes out very quickly and and fast. Well, and it sounds like from what you were describing earlier that your own periods of prolonged waiting really gave you the ability to step right into that that character when you hear that voice or feel Mm -hmm. that you know, it sounds like you can just put yourself there. So that makes sense that that part would be maybe the quicker part. But I love that idea of vectors because I am the queen of unimportant tree branching details, (laughs) right? right? Like just (laughs) throw it in. It's fine. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. One of the first things one of my writing coaches said to me was, don't put a gun on the stage if nobody's going to fire it. And this shows how little I know. I was like, ooh, who said that? (laughs) I mean, that's neat. (laughs) 
Oh my God. But I love that. I mean, that's, that's our Chekhov's gun. But as a writer, I think all about reverse Chekhov's gun, which yes. is like, if a gun fires in the last act, you better make sure it's on the stage in the first, you know? Yes. It's so interesting to think backward. You're right. Because I'm just starting to work on things now where I think, okay, I have to, I have to go this direction. But I love that idea of direction and trajectory in your mm-hmm. writing, but that the details you choose are part of that. I don't think I ever took it down to that level. I only thought of it as kind of the large plot points and things like that. So, wow, yeah. I really love that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm so impressed. And I really like this line from an angel on stilts. Mm-hmm. I am better in the short form, I have been told since you went away. My stories about loss that start with loss and end with loss are more tolerable when they finish fast. Mm-hmm. Did you, I, and there are so many I marked in this book that I just was like, this is just the construction. I could go on for days. I won't, but I am just so impressed. Tell me why you chose stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, so that, that line from an angel on stilts, my stories about loss that start with loss and end with loss are more tolerable when they finish fast. That was some feedback I'd gotten, first of all, honestly. But also because for me, the story form enables me to inhabit more perspectives as the main perspective. In other words, there's no singular protagonist here. And of course, a novel, we can do roving perspectives in a novel. You know, it's, it's not that a novel is limited, but very often we're following one storyline or there's a primacy to the storyline. And in stories, there doesn't have to be, and I didn't Mm. want there to be. And so like the For Somebody So Scared story that you mentioned earlier, I just wanted to add that I'm really glad you picked that one out too, because that was an example of me having been very kind of lonely and left and rejected at that point in my life. But I was casting into the perspective of a person who left a figure who was more like me. So trying to extend that kind of empathy. And then the Angel on Stilt story is from the perspective of someone who is the left behind and Mm -hmm. is longing for that second person, that you. And I wanted both of those kinds of figures to be equally important, to be equally relevant. And I think in the book, there's like two main sets of characters who long for a lover and then a lover comes back in the second half of the book. Mm -hmm. And in one of those, it seems like that relationship might actually work, although changed. And in one of those, it seems like that relationship is just doomed because of how long the pain went on first. And in stories, I don't have to give either one of those primacy. I can say that both of those are really possible kinds of outcomes for love. And there's no telling. It's kind of a roll of the dice and you just hope. Gosh, it's so true. It's such a brave and terrible act to love someone Mm. that can leave you Mm -hmm. and that may leave you. I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. I think about this all the time that, you know, we, why (laughs) it's, it's so precarious And yet Mm -hmm. we do it and we Mm -hmm. long for it. Mm -hmm. So I think the way that you treat that with your language really honors it because I think we have so many things about romantic love, to your point, that are, you know, we long for it, but so many of the narratives that are available about it are so much thinner and cheaper Mm -hmm. than they should be or Mm -hmm. than are true. And so... It just is nice to see and heartening to see something that actually does it justice because it's so deep. Mm. So was that, 
I'm, I know, and also I think something so interesting about you is that you went to Harvard Divinity School as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your path to becoming a writer real quick, if you don't mind. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I've always wanted to be a writer, but I think a lot of people who want to be writers, I feel like there's two types. Some yeah. start with a subject and a story they have to tell, and then they just need to develop the skills as a writer. Some of them start with wanting to hone the craft and just loving writing and loving books and sort of finding their way to the story and the theme. Okay. And I think I was the second kind. I always wanted to be a writer. Wasn't totally sure what story I'd tell. And then, you know, to the benefit of being of my writing career, but not my life, this love lorn kind of situation presented itself to me earlier <laughs> in my life. Yay for me. How <laughs> what long, how, how uh, many years was that, that it felt like you oh were in God. that place on and off? Oh God, probably between the ages of 18 and 30, I would okay. say. So okay. my entire early adult life. So, okay, uh, perfect. Good. I so pretty um, much 50% up to that point. Yes. Okay, yes. Very great. Very great. So. What a delight. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So that sort of gave me the subject that I wanted to write about. And I wanted to write about it in large part because of what you said. Like it feels the advice that I was getting from the world and from pop culture was thin. Mm. And I think that, I mean, literature, the great books are not thin. And like, I mean, I think like Elena Ferrante is my go-to for someone who just writes the pain of a smart woman who just longs for love and puts herself in these horrible positions because of it. She writes it so well and many have, but I think the kind of pop idea is like, okay, you'll find it. Like you're young, you'll find it. And I think that for me, that never felt true. And in part, this is where it kind of this, my interest in love marries my religious kind of spiritual background, Yes, which is that my grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. I was very close with her. And I think that the lesson from that was just like, really bad things can happen. Really bad things can happen. And not finding love in some ways as much, well, I should say, in a lot of ways is much smaller as a tragedy than the Holocaust, but in other ways, like is a real personal tragedy as well. And so I just think it was always hard for me to believe that the good thing is inevitable. I think the good thing is possible and the good thing happens, but it's not inevitable. I don't think it is. And for me, I think that tension between mm-hmm. being so alone and being told that it would work out in the end. And then knowing that horrible things happen in this world, that's kind of where the writing took off for me, I would say. Yeah. I love hearing that because you're exactly right. And people are well-meaning when yes. they want to encourage you and tell you that it's all going to work out. And I do have that pushback as well, where I think, but it might not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is not, but there is sort of a, it's just tough to, I can't even articulate it a little bit where it's just an interesting place that you find yourself, right? Where of course you want to believe, but I think you put it perfectly. The good is possible, mm-hmm. but then what do you do in the interim? Yeah, exactly. And I think, and like, as a writer, I think we as writers are always interested in like the yes, you'll get love. No, you won't get love. Or like the third option, which is that the answer to longing and loneliness is not what you thought it was. Right. And that like romantic love is maybe not the answer. And I think that's wonderful as both a writer, because you get to explore the complexities of something in between. And it's often very true in life as well. And that's frankly, kind of the lesson that I had to learn, I think, in order to write this book is that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's other forms of love, love of self, love of family, history, friends, sisters, women, female friendship, I think really comes out in the book and and in my own life as well as a place where you can put 
the kind of longing for love, you can find another sort of love that isn't romantic, even if romantic love does come your way or if it doesn't. Yeah. You know, there's kind of a turn in in gaze that you can do in life and in writing. And so that was very, or rather, I think I had to learn that lesson in life before I could write the book to my satisfaction. And going to divinity school along the way just kind of opened up, I would say opened up more possibility space. Divinity school is a place where people are really asking questions and don't have a lot of answers. But the more questions you ask, you know, and this is very similar to writing as well, the more questions you ask, the more possibilities arise as as possible answers. And again, that just kind of pushed past the binary of like, do you get love or you don't? Is your story happy or sad on those metrics, on that metric? I, yes. I hope that in the end in this book, there's hope and belief, even though the characters also, also rail against hope and belief. I think there's hope and belief, but there's also a love of family and history and legacy that becomes just as important. Yes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because... Even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. You express that so well. And you're right, opening up possibilities and how we, how we measure our lives too, mm-hmm. in terms of what constitutes joy and depth and all these things that we want. Mm-hmm. And I think so, it sounds also like, this probably 
even if you had, you know, let's say you wanted to write it earlier or tried, I think so much of this when I was reading it was thinking, these are things, if I read this book when I was 22, mm-hmm. let's say, I just, I wouldn't, I, w- I would have thought this is beautiful and wonderful and I wouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> I think, I mean, I can say that confidently for myself, <laughs> yeah. but I think there's definitely things to appreciate in it. I just don't think I would have understand the nuance because as you get older, mm-hmm. I think you see so much more of what you're talking about, which is the different forms of love and the different ways our lives are full. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really, I like that. Now, so what are you working on next? Let me let me start with that. Are you working on anything right now? And is it in the same themes or does this feel like you're done with this now? Yeah, it's such a good, such a good question. I really think that I'm so happy this book is in the world for so many reasons. I think that part of this book, I think, like would have spoken to me at 22 in the sense that a lot of the characters do feel how I felt then, which is sad and longing. But I agree with you that like, a lot of the insights that they reach by the end could not have, I was not ready for at that time. Yes. But I do feel like this book being in the world has kind of released me a little bit from writing that kind of 22-year-old's pain, which I think is so valid as a subject for literature, especially with a frame or a perspective that's a little bit older, potentially. Yes. But I don't want to have to write that anymore. And yet I also felt for years and years that I had a very specific perspective on it. And I could not let it go in my own writing until some version of it was out in the world. And I'm so glad that this book is. But I'm working on my next project right now. I'm at a, I'm actually at a writer's residency called Santosh at the Hill Home Estates in Maine. It's new. It's incredible. It's wonderful. Okay. So I'm working on this new book here. And I have to say that there's just a paragraph in my current book and on other lifetimes that sort of presages what I think I'm going to do next or what I'm working on next. So it's from the story to lose everything I've ever loved, which is the story when, um, one of the characters that has been longed for returns. It's on page 142 in the finished book. I know you have okay. a galley, so I'm not sure if it's the same, but... I'll find it. Yes. Yeah, so the character, this man that she's longed for has finally chosen her and has come back to her years later and they're together. And she says, I start to think it has all been a problem of genre. During those years I spent loving a man who wasn't mine, I thought I was living a romance or maybe a tragedy. My friend tried to get me to see it as a comedy. In fact, it was a horror story. And that, I think, is kind of the seed of what will come next. Something that views all of this a little bit less as tragedy and a little bit more as horror. So That's so exciting. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Because I loved that storyline through those essays, and this one especially. That one really stood out to me for lots of reasons. So Mm. that... A horror story. So exciting. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I love hearing that. Oh, thank you. Yes. I feel like I can just be a little less soft with, with the, with the characters now because I was so, I hope that I was gentle and loving with them. I mean, I hope I pushed them against a wall as a fiction writer needs to do, but I hope to have been very gentle. And I think that my voice now can just be a little sharper and a little meaner, and a little less dreamy toward my characters. Of course. Because I just needed to get out the book and the story collection that I think like really holds the pain of all of this. Mm. And I hope the next one can be a little sharper. I love how you talk about it too, because writing is such a spiritual exercise Mm -hmm. and such a meeting of where we are and then perhaps what the book or the story or the essay is meant to be. And then we're ushering it, but it's just, it's such an interesting interplay. Mm -hmm. And so you're exactly right to feel like 
that was something that you had to finish, that it was something that belonged in the world and you were almost its caretaker. And mm-hmm. now you are ready for the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, do, I do feel that way. And I think that, you know, as writers, it can't be about publishing. That Publishing can't be the thing that keeps us going. It has to be the work. And yet I also, I see very powerfully how if something is kind of stunted in terms of it never gets off our own laptop into the world, it can stunt us a little bit mm. and it can stunt our growth and movement forward a little bit. What a gift to be able to share stories because it does, I mean, to loop back around, it's funny, had I read this at 22, the beautiful thing about it, about your writing too, is that these are the kind of words you can store up. I got to talk to Gregory Mm. Maguire forever ago, and he talked Mm. about writing a book and he wrote Crest Watercrest because he was writing it with a specific person in mind. It was a teenager struggling. And he said, what would I have liked to tell her earlier. Mm -hmm. And so he talked about writing to store up comfort Mm -hmm. and to store up wisdom. And that is what this book absolutely does Mm. because no matter what your life story is, and if you, let's say, haven't, I mean, I've been married for 20 years. And Mm -hmm. so I haven't experienced some of this, but yet I will in some form or another because to love people is to lose them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Gregory Maguire wrote Wicked, right? Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Which is, I I grew up in North Jersey and I went and did the Wicked ticket lottery like every weekend of my life. So (laughs) I waited outside the stage door for Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth every weekend. (laughs) Oh, how could you not? I mean, that (laughs) Wicked is one of my favorites and the book is so different than the play. And I got to talk to him a little bit about that, but I mean, Mm. yeah, interviewing him was just like, but that idea of you, you're storing it up. That's totally what I do with reading, right? Where you take mm-hmm. those favorite sentences and these ideas yes. and then maybe later is when you really think, ah, now now I know what that was for, what I needed yeah. that for. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think like part of why I wanted to write this was to like represent what it feels like to be lonely and really sad and feeling like people around you can move forward and build lives and you're just trapped and you're dependent on finding someone else who loves you and wants you before you get to move forward, that feeling, I wanted to represent it. But like you say, I also wanted to offer some solace or some wisdom to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's in, in the end of this book, in the very last story, there's like one moment where a story that's in that second person, you breaks, and there's just a first person I, and it's the only time in the whole book that I view the I as being me, the author, mm, okay. just for one moment. And it doesn't yeah. matter if the readers view it that way, but I do. And it's, it's in the very last story, which is called a new story. So I wanted to end with a kind of beginning. And there's a part that says, this is the story I want to tell the one where he doesn't leave because of no because, because he doesn't. No metaphor is truer than the fact of his body in your bed day after day. And I just wanted to say in that, like, there is no because. There is no reason for your loneliness. There's no real reason either for why love came to you. It's like a blessing and a sacrament. And, you know, there's really no deserving in my mind. There's no one who deserves loneliness. There's no one who deserves love more than anyone else. Maybe we could say we all deserve, but there's no more or less. And so that's just the notion that I wanted to 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 put out as a solace to that 22-year-old or or 32-year-old or 50-year-old or 60-year-old, anyone who's lonely, you know, because I think that's a perennial condition. It is a perennial condition. You are exactly right. And I think that is a lovely word to share with anyone because we live in a 
culture that tells us you must be jamming something up. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. there's there's something not faulty, but maybe, you know, you need to wait a little longer or whatever. There's just so many reasons that people have for why someone's maybe lonely or single or whatever it is. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, no one's deserving. I mean, it just is, I like the way you said that that's perfect. It's a blessing and a sacrament and you, but to not have it to, to turn the gaze and look elsewhere Mm -hmm. is something Mm -hmm. that's healthy too. My gosh, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to be a human. Oh my God. It's so hard. This is why we're writers, right? Because we're looking at all these facets of how hard it is. It is. It's just, it's a heartbreaking, it's a heartbreaking enterprise, but (laughs) worth it nonetheless. I mean, a lot like writing really, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh God. Yes. I mean, writing and love to me have both like absolutely broken my heart and given me like some of the greatest joys in my life and, you know, have inspired each other very, very much. It's so true. The highs of insight and conversation and the lows of Goodreads reviews. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Don't look at those. (laughs) No, I've heard that. That is, I'm, I'm going to have to just like put a password on it or something and my kids can unlock it for me. I'll let them read it. Yeah, I know. This is like, I have, when I forward my friends emails that I know will be bad and I just tell them to report back to me what it says. So smart. Everyone needs those people in their life, right? To just be like, look, you know me and this is is not healthy for my mental health. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Courtney, thank you so much for this time and this conversation and for a beautiful book that I can't wait for other people to get their hands on. And just as a quick plug, this would be an amazing book club book. And I don't know Mm -hmm. that it's necessarily probably in that marketing area, but it should be because Mm. women like me, like you, whether you're in a relationship, not like this, this, these are the conversations we should be having because Mm. there's so much elevation and honesty there. So Mm. I hope that everyone picks it up and talks about it nonstop. Thank you. Well, I have to agree. So thank you. Thank you (laughs) so much. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the conversation. And I'm so happy we're connected. Wonderful. I am too. Thanks so much, Julie. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.